0: I'd like to thank Mike and Bruce and the leadership here for having me with you. I was uh, with you all at church uh, last June, I think, and uh, I really enjoyed the worship as I did tonight or this morning. By the way, I think in heaven every single worship band is either going to have a cello player or a saxophone <laughs> player, but not at the same time. They kind of cancel each other out. <laughs> but um, when I was with you last June, uh, we had, uh, uh, I was really pleasantly surprised by what a great response you all had during the ministry time. And the, at the end of my message, the Holy Spirit was moving very powerfully. So when I was talking with the leaders about coming back, I said, can't we do a Sunday night just kind of dedicated to worship and ministry and see where the Lord goes? And they said, well, we can't get people on a Sunday night, but they said they will turn out for a Monday night. So your leadership has promised that every one of you will be here tomorrow night, so there you go. <laughs> Mike, I appreciate your prayers for the Ukraine. Uh, over the last 10 years, I've been three times to the Ukraine doing pastors' conferences, and we have a lot of great friends. I just received a text message from an apostolic leader, a friend of mine. He's based about an hour outside Kiev and uh, things just got too much with literally bombs going off uh, in near their neighborhood, so he had to pack up his family and flee to the western part of Ukraine where it's relatively safe. But, you know, uh, I, again, I appreciated the specific prayers you prayed, to Mike, because you drew on the fact that God is sovereign. And despite what tyrants or powers economically militarily we see in the world today, uh, they're not in control. You know, they they launch things out. But just as we sang in worship, God, you reign. As we pray for these situations all over the world, uh, let that be a reference point that the nations will be given to Christ as an inheritance. All right, I want to jump into the message, and this is something back in January, a few months ago. I felt like the Lord gave me for the body of Christ, uh, particularly this year, and it's a message I call 2022, coming out of the whirlwind. And I want to speak specifically to you primarily out of everybody's favorite book, the Book of Job. (laughs) If you're not familiar with the Book of Job, the first 95% of the book is a total downer. (laughs) Job was an amazingly wealthy man, he had great prestige, great respect, he had a large family that he loved, he was very healthy, and in just a few days' time, he lost everything. His family, uh, for the most part, was uh, destroyed, he lost all of his wealth, and he lost his health as well. He was just cast into great pain. he had three friends that it talks about in the next couple of chapters, chapter 2 and chapter 3. Three close friends that drew near to him for the purpose of encouraging him and building him up and exhorting him. <laughs> and basically, over the next 37 chapters, all they did was rebuke and condemn him. You know, Job's thinking, you know, I know what my enemies are like. They're not as bad as you guys, you know. And so this is kind of the the situation, and we end up in Job chapter 38. He's lost everything. He's living in incredible pain. Uh, He's suffering great loneliness, you know, all of this condemnation from his best friends. But then it says in Job 38, verse 1, these words, Then the Lord spoke to Job out of the whirlwind. Out of the whirlwind. And actually there's a biblical pattern for God dealing with our lives and God speaking to us, not at a point where everything's cool, everything's, you know, hunky-dory, everything's just the way we'd want it, but in times of confusion, even times of despair. We look at the life of Jesus that coming close to his arrest Uh, And he was just, you know, he knew what was going to come because crucifixion had been designed hundreds of years earlier to not only kill a person, but do so with the utmost painful suffering for a long duration of time. He knew what was coming, and he prayed in John 12, verses 27 and 28. He said, My soul is troubled. But out of that confusion, out of that frustration he was facing, God spoke and said, I will glorify your name. In fact, we go all the way back to the first chapter of the Bible, and it says in the Hebrew, there was chaos upon the earth. But in the midst of the chaos, the Holy Spirit was there hovering, and out of God's presence he spoke and said, let there be light, let there be life, let there be fruitfulness. The whole world has been thrown into whirlwinds of confusion the last two years. In fact, we're still very much in it, aren't we? Fear of health, fear what's going to happen economically. Uh, you know, the, what's happening right now in the, in the Ukraine, it was very much predictable. And I, uh, there's some things I would say, but I don't want anybody to say I'm using the pulpit politically, so I won't. But going back eight years, when uh, uh, Russia, for the first time in our recent history, invaded Ukraine, it was a harbinger of what was to come they were testing the waters at that time and as well as being in prayer for the ukraine i really want to encourage you to be in in prayer for taiwan because the only thing that has kept china from overtaking taiwan since 1945 1947 is their friendship with the united states and our might and our steadfastness to steadfast them but in this time that everything that can be shaken is being shaken there's things that are hanging in the balance right now. I don't know how many of you liked the Lord of the Rings movie, but there's a about five of you. But there's a, a, a great scene where in the first movie they've just come through this huge, epic major battle, and the, the the people of Rohan have just barely survived. They've lost a lot of men. But the counsel to them is to go to another place, engage in an even bigger battle. And he's saying, you know, we're we're tired, we're worn out. And someone says to the king, there are now things in motion that cannot be undone. And I don't like overly focusing on eschatology of the end times, but we're living in a time where God has allowed everything to be shaken that can be shaken because there is a harvest of the nations to give them to Jesus as an inheritance. I'm not prophesying when the return of the Lord is, But there are things now that the stability in countries like the United States that we've had for about 100 years, that stability all over the globe is greatly shaken. And so this is not a time to running into our caves in fear. It's a time to come out of the caves and gaze upon the glory of God because he knows exactly what he's doing. And out of the chaos will come God's light and life and fruitfulness on a whole nother level. Okay, I've just been preached to you. I better back off. I don't want to offend anybody. But out of the whirlwind, God spoke to Job. Out of that place of confusion and destruction, out of the hurt and pain, the loss he was suffering, the loneliness, God spoke to him. And you know what? The words that God spoke to Job for the next two chapters were not very encouraging. In fact, God kind of joined in the pattern of his three friends. He began to rebuke Job. You know, there's a verse in Proverbs that, I, I love this verse, but it's not a very popular verse. It says, faithful, the wounds of a friend. And we think, well, you know, that means when we're hurting, our friends have come along and console us, build us up, strengthen us, bless us, all this sort of thing. But sometimes we need a friend to say, You need to look at what's going on in your life. These things that are happening are not just random. There is a pattern that many Christians, I believe, in the Western world have fallen into. I'm so thankful nobody here has fallen into. I'm talking about the church down the road. (laughs) But as a friend of mine put it years ago, we have gotten far too casual with a God that we really don't know all that well. We claim things, we blame things, we proclaim things, we teach this, we teach that. And it's not that there's not truth in what we're teaching and preaching, but we're talking about things and about a person, God Almighty, El Shaddai, you know, the creator God, the self-existent one, Jehovah. We get kind of casual with him and somehow we fall into the trap. Of thinking the way we think about things such as politics in America must be how God is thinking okay I'll back off that I see those looks on your faces but I'm telling you as Isaiah said God's ways are above our ways his thoughts are above our thoughts and despite whatever chaos or confusion there is in your life and the nation's right now God, by his spirit, is weaving this incredible mosaic of bringing the nations to Christ as his inheritance. And there is an incredible revival that we are on the verge of right now. Mark, I I like that phrase you had. uh, You know, what did you say, double for all your trouble? If you were just five years younger, you could have been a worship rap artist, you know. I think (laughs) you... Maybe change your clothing a bit, I don't know. (laughs) But God knows what he's doing. As it says in Jeremiah 29, he knows the plans he has for us. He knows the plans, plans to give us a hope and a future, even plans to prosper our soul. So God spent two chapters basically rebuking Job for the prideful thinking, thinking he could blame God for this, or God, why didn't you do that? Why didn't you work according to my prayers, according to my schedule, according to the way I wanted you to do something? But then in Job chapter 40, again, it says God spoke to Job out of the whirlwind because God is just so persistent in bringing about the calling, the destiny, and the purposes and the beautification in your life and my life so we begin to reflect the Lord Jesus. But as God began to speak to Job on this second time, Job took a different approach. And I want to read to you, if I can find it here, what he said. Job responded in verse 4 and 5 of uh, Job forty. And he said, Behold, I am of small account. What shall I answer you? I lay my hand on my mouth. I have spoken once, and I will not answer twice, but I will proceed no further. There is an art to learning to small ourselves up before the presence of God. The old-fashioned word is walking with God in humility. That's not a very popular word, so... We'll put it in Job's term. God is the great I am, and sometimes we need a revelation that we're the great we're not. You see, it's not about the unholy trinity of me, myself, and I. Aren't you so glad there's no narcissism among this group? You see, the basic essence, fundamental gospel message has not changed in the last 2,000 years. Pick up your cross, die to yourself. The kingdom of God is at hand, repent, change. And Job, after God dealing with him throughout the previous time, all these 40 chapters, has come to a place where he's saying, God, not my ways, but your ways, not my will, but your will. God, you speak, and I will listen. A number of years ago, about 15, 20 years ago, there was a a certain city in the Midwest of the United States, and my wife and I were highly involved with three churches there. And my relationship with them, my job description was, when I wasn't traveling, was there was was beginning to be a Holy Spirit birth unity movement among, among these three churches, very different churches. One was a vineyard, one was an assembly of God, and one was a Baptist church. And they wanted me to come alongside them And help uh, through worship and prayer, the prophetic and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit to bring about a move of unity in this city. And so uh, for three years we were very, very involved in that. But I'll never forget the first time my wife and I came there was for the first conference I did with all three churches together. And the schedule went like this, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Monday night, Tuesday night, Wednesday night, bringing all three churches together for all the services. So Saturday night, I was up praying for the first uh, gathering Sunday morning. Lord, what do you want me to speak about? And the Lord spoke to me very very clearly, and he said, tell them that the church of this city is pregnant with revival. And that's an exciting word. But tell them The baby of revival is not going to be born the normal way. And if they try to bring the baby the normal way, they're going to kill the baby of revival. And then he said this phrase, which I had never heard before. He said, tell them they need to learn to elevate their hearts above their head. So, okay, so I preached on that. That was an easy one to feed into, talking about worship and seeking the Lord Sunday morning. And even Sunday night, the second message, I felt like the Lord said, do the same message again. So I did. something I rarely do. But here's what is mind-blowing. That Monday morning, one of the three senior pastors of those churches, his daughter, was nine days overdue with her first baby. And so that Monday, with the family and the husband, they took her to the hospital. They got her checked in. They gave her medication to induce labor, and they put the monitoring belt around her. And after about 30 minutes or so, the baby's heartbeat stopped. The baby's heartbeat stopped. And all the nurses and a few doctors come rushing into the emergency situation, and a doctor quickly assessed it, and he said, I want you to get on your knees on the bed and put your head flat on the bed. And as she did that, as she elevated her heart above her head, the heartbeat of the baby came back. And then they went into, uh, did an emergency uh, C-section, and what they found was the umbilical cord was wrapped three times around the baby. So even after the heartbeat had come back, if they tried to deliver the baby the normal way, there was a good chance they could have killed the baby. Now, in point of fact, and and that senior pastor, he came Monday night before I spoke. He shared this whole thing. And he said, we literally saw a symbolic act of that prophetic word carried out. And he said, we need to seek God and lean not to understanding because the baby of revival is not going to come the way we think it should come. And in point of fact... It didn't happen because the churches, there began to be problems, and they just kind of stayed, I don't know, in their own patterns, and that's a whole different message. But the point is that Job, he said, Lord, I make myself small before you. I love what it says in Proverbs 3, 5, lean not to understanding, but trust in the Lord in all of your heart. And could it be in American Christianity, and for the Western world for that part, that we've been more in the habit of doing what we think is the right thing to do and then tacking on, bless us, Lord, after we move in those directions? Could it be that the Lord's calling us back to a posture of making ourselves small before him? You know, one of the worship songs we sang this morning was, We Make Room for You. In your heart of hearts, you only have a limited capacity. How much of you is reigning in your heart? Or are we making ourselves small and making a lot of room for the great I am? Well, I'm glad you're excited. (laughs) And so God continued to speak to Job. And then in chapter 42, Job responded again to the Lord. And this is what he said. I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. And speaking about himself, he said, Who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore, I have uttered what I did not understand. I'm going to stop there. One of the, arguably, one of the greatest preachers to ever emerge in North America was a man called Tozer. He was a phenomenal preacher, way ahead of his time in, in the prophetic about what was coming to things of the Spirit. But Tozer wrote and spoke extensively of what he called the experiential heart theology of a grand army of fragrant saints. What did he mean by that? It's not just an eloquent set of words, the experiential heart theology of a grand army of fragrant saints. But he was talking about the difference between those who intellectually know the promises and principles of God as opposed to those who walk them out to experience them. You see, when we learn to really embrace the ways of God, picking up our cross, preferring other people, honoring others, giving, serving one another, there begins to be the essence, the aroma of Jesus, the sweetness of God about them. But there's, there's such a difference between knowing about God and actually knowing him, walking with them. And Job is saying, therefore I've uttered what I did not understand. You see, we can intellectually understand some truths about God, but that's not the same as walking in the reality of that. I have uttered what I did not understand, things too wonderful for me which I did not know. And Job continued to the Lord, hear, and I will speak. I will question you, and you will make it known to me. I've heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. Therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. Well, this is partially affected by Old Testament, old covenant, perspective of God that you know does affect things, even though the heart of God is consistent throughout all of history. And so I'm not saying anybody here should despise themselves and, and all that that can lead to. We already have enough of a problem with that sometimes, don't we? But this puts into graphic relief uh, perspective, so to say, of this contrast between the beauty of God, the majesty of Christ, the glory of God, and what we're not, that compared to him, you know, and it's just purely by his grace, the wonder of who he is, what happened on the cross, and the gift of his spirit, that as Paul said, we can agree with the spirit and call out, Abba, Father, born again as the sons and daughters of God. So I want to, I don't, the, the, these things that Job just said, I want to quickly identify four things that I think God is wanting the church in America to wake up to. First, as Job said, no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Nothing is impossible for God. Nothing. Nothing is impossible for God. I was sharing a story with the school of ministry, I think, yesterday. And this story goes back to about um, 12, 13 years ago when we lived in Ohio at the time, but I was on a ministry trip out here in California speaking at a church. And we did four nights focused on the kingdom of God, healing, prophecy, and whatnot, doing a lot of ministry every night. And the fourth night, the meeting was over. I was tired. I was walking with the pastor out the front door going to get something to eat. And uh, uh, I didn't remember it until 10 years later when the father came up to me with, at that time, his 22-year-old son. But 10 years before, this father had walked up to me with his 12-year-old son, 10-year-old, whatever it was, And he said, do you have one more prayer left in you? And I said, "Uh, well, what do you want prayer for? And he said, well, it's my son. My son, for the last five years, suffers severe epileptic seizures at least two to three times a week at night. And uh, he's in the top 98 percentile of epileptic victims, and he's slowly just turning into a a vegetable. He's on heavy medication. Oftentimes, because of the seizures, he can only go to school two or three days a week, and it's just... You know, it's just crazy. But he said, my wife and I have been praying to God, and we believe God wants to heal him. And he said, I brought him every night, thinking the Lord would give you a word of knowledge to pray for people with epilepsy, but you didn't. Do you think you can pray for him now? And you know the the story about when the four friends carried the paralyzed man into the meeting? Have you ever wondered, did that paralyzed man even want to be there? It's not like, you know, he had much choice. They just went to his house, threw him on the cot and carried him there, you know, and he finds himself being lowered down, this star uh, attraction there. You know, he said, where are you taking me? Well, we're going to the revival meeting. I don't want to go to no stinking revival meeting. But there he is. And you know the story that he ended up, the Lord healed his legs. But it's interesting. It says something that's crucial to understand. It says Jesus saw the faith of the four friends. There were times like the woman who snuck through the crowd and touched Jesus was healed of 13 years of hemorrhaging, like when Jesus said, woman, your faith has made you well. And there were times that Jesus was moving in that gift of faith, like when he walked with Mammoth man of Bethesda and said, do you wish to get well? The man really had no faith. He said, well, I've tried it before. Somebody always gets the healing. I've been to the conference and the seminar, you know. But Jesus said, pick up your butt and walk. So in that case, Jesus was being motivated by that gift of faith. On the other case. Time the woman was moving in that, but at the other time the four friends. So I I, I I was tired and we'd prayed for many, many people the last four nights, and I looked at the father, the boy. I didn't sense any faith at all, but I looked at the father. The father was filled with faith. And so I put my hand on the young boy's back and I said, In the name of Jesus, I rebuke the spirit of affliction called leprosy. I pull the hooks out and I bless your neurological system, be healed. And I was it. I walked out the door. When we shot the video testimony 10 years later, the father said, I was actually angry at you. After bringing him for four nights in a row when he should have been home in bed, all I get is a 10-second prayer. (laughs) But to make make a long story short, to the amazement of the neurologist, um, he was completely 100% set free. Completely. He... Not only got healed, but he learned to swim. He joined the water polo team in high school, the swim team. He learned how to surf. And uh, when I met him at 22 years old, he was a Marine, and his job was to train young recruits in physical fitness. When he went to apply to the Marines, they, they, they said, well, fill out your medical history. And they said, epilepsy? Son, we can't have someone in a firefight, you know, having an epileptic seizure. Forget it. But he kept coming back and coming back. So finally they relented and had the marine neurologist uh, do tests on him. And they did all their tests. They said, not only do you not have epilepsy, but we can't see a trace that there's ever been epilepsy. (laughs) The things that are impossible for us are never a challenge for God. The second thing is that the ways and wisdom of God demand that we walk by faith. Again, Proverbs 3, 5 not by our understanding. And God, you you need to have that deep down, quiet heart faith as you walk with God. I love the meetings where the Holy Spirit's moving, we're shouting, lifting our hands. I noticed in your church, Mike, there was a small Pentecostal contingency right here with a few amens and hallelujahs, you know. (laughs) Praise God. But... uh, you know, I, I love the experience in meetings, you know, where the Holy Spirit's moving, we're responding in various ways, but the reality is how are we walking Monday morning, Tuesday morning, Wednesday morning, Thursday morning, Friday morning where we're going back and saying, facing that same mean, nasty boss for the fifth day in the row, you know? Are we walking in a quiet confidence, as it says in Psalm 46, be still and know that I am God. That We've got to begin to learn the difference sometimes between good ideas and God ideas and begin to seek the Lord. And that's the third point, that we really begin in our life endeavors, you know, uh, in, our ch- in our choices, crucial things, not just to make decisions that seem right to us and then tack on, bless us, Lord, as we do it, but to wait upon the Lord. There's a great promise in Isaiah chapter 30 that says uh, you will hear the voice of the Lord and you will say, turn this way. I love what Isaiah said, those who wait upon the Lord. That doesn't mean not do anything, but it means with the crucial decisions and opportunities and even more than your eyes have seen, more than ears have heard as we seek the Lord as a people, as families, as a church, as a congregation, god's going to begin to open doors for you and speaking of doors um, um i just uh, uh mike and bruce grabbed me and took me into a short prayer meeting with uh, the worship team and media uh, folks uh, all that before the service and i had a very quick vision of this your church buildings and i saw many many doors and all of a sudden it was like the holy spirit was doing a remodel Walls were changing and doors were changing direction and bigger doors were being put in. And I felt like the Lord is saying this to you, uh, Mike and the team here in the church, that this year there's going to be some Holy Spirit-induced remodeling going on. And that involves people. Some of you are going to be sliding this way, some of you that way. But the Lord's going to give you new doors, and those doors are to swing wide to not only in the King of Glory, but to open up to the community. And, you know, Jesus is all about opening doors. When he gave up the Holy Spirit, the veil in the temple was torn in two, wasn't it? But one thing, you know, I, I've learned about construction because in the early years of our ministry, I used to do remodel jobs, carpentry jobs in between ministry trips, is, you know, I'd get a client and then I'd drop some uh, diagrams and then get some pictures of what they wanted and everything's everybody's all excited and cool, let's get on it, you know. So we order the material and uh, we start the job, and the, they, they come back. At the end of the first day, they're devastated because everything in their house is filled with dust. They can't cook there. They can't do anything. It's just a mess. And so sometimes we almost have buyer's remorse when we start on remodeling and new construction. And so I want to encourage you. The Lord's going to be shifting some of you around this year. And, but the fact is he's going to change doors and cause some of the doors you have and even new doors to be broad doors, to be wide gates to let in the people into the kingdom of God. But, uh, good, about eight of you are excited. Wonderful. (laughs) But we need to take time because God has more for us than we have any idea to seek him. I'm not saying everybody's called to be a prophet, but as the sons and daughters of God, he does want to lead us and guide us by his spirit. And the fourth thing is... As Job said, I have heard of you by my ears, but now I see you with my eyes. God desires that we would allow him, you know, to remove the cataracts from the eyes of our heart. I'm, 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 I'm not saying we're all going to have visions of the throne of God. Quite often I'm suspicious of uh, when I hear people talk about their throne, uh, throne room visions and all of that, and I've challenged a few people. Saying, no, I do no, I don't think you were taken up to the third heaven. I say, why do you think that? Well, because you're still alive. When we read about the Apostle John, a very righteous man, when he beheld the glory of Jesus, he fell at his feet like a dead man. You know, uh, I, th- I think, again, we've gotten very casual in thinking about God Almighty. But nonetheless, the Apostle Paul, he prayed a prayer for the Christians in Ephesus, starting in chapter 1. And he said in verse 16, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of all glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation, the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, so you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of His power toward those who believe. And I believe these three things, the fruit of allowing God to deal with the eyes of our heart, are vitally needed in the church today. We need to know that our true riches are not in how big our house is, what kind of car we have, how much money in the bank, what reputation and what prestige we have. Our true riches are in Christ Jesus. He is our portion in the land of the living. (laughs) Secondly, we need to know the hope of our calling that every single one of us has been uniquely created by God in His image. And we were created to bear fruit. We're not all called to walk the same journey. We're not all called the same career path. We're created in very unique ways. And if you get too unique, we have counseling to help you out. But that's another message. (laughs) But every one of you was not created, none of us were created to be spectators in this call, this incredible internal game to seek first. You were called to get some skin in the game. You were called to know the purposes, the calling upon you to reflect Jesus and make Jesus known in whatever sphere of influence and authority he's given you. I was pausing, thinking we might get at least five amens, but I think we got four, so we're getting close. But lastly, we need a much deeper revelation of the immeasurable greatness of God's power, his dunamis dynamite power, as it says in the Greek, of the Holy Spirit. Isn't it interesting, dynamite in the natural, it blows things apart, but God's dynamite power of the Holy Spirit blows what's broken back together. He's in the business of continually giving us beauty for the ashes in our life. And I, I, I so much appreciate this church. In the two Sundays I've been with you, June and, and this morning, both times, you've had a ministry, and I'm assuming what you do, praying for the sick, giving words of the I'm assuming that's just part and parcel. That is so refreshing to see. Do you know that across America, 25, 30 years ago, there were all sorts of churches of all sorts of networks denominations that prayed for the sick? That is not true today. That is not true. And it's so great that you have this family, that you have faith for the power and presence of God to move. But the promise is God wants to increase. To those who have, more shall be given, and you shall be in heaven abundance. And that's unto the miraculous. So, let's try to bring this to a close. Whirlwinds. The the word that's used in whirlwind in the Hebrew, the word sar. It means heavy winds, it can mean storm, it can be a typhoon, it can mean a tornado. And, you know, my wife and I lived in the Midwest for years, and when heavy winds come, it can be very, very threatening, very damaging. I think they had like $60 million worth of damage a few months ago in Tennessee with the tornadoes that hit there. But tornadoes are very obviously upsetting. Very confusing, because the things you think are rock solid all of a sudden are not rock solid. And so all over the world, many people who thought their job, their career, their income, or this or that was rock solid, we found that everything that can be shaken is being shaken. But there's a flip side to whirlwinds, and this goes all the way back to Elijah and his protege, Elisha. Elijah has spent a number of years. Elijah, the great man of God, the great prophet, the one who called down fire from heaven. It came down and consumed the false, you know, the sacrifice, and then the false priests and prophets were killed. The one who prayed that it wouldn't rain for three and a half years and a drought came. Then he prayed that drought would be broken. The rain clouds came. He had spent a number of years training character development, impartation to this young man, Elisha. And finally, Elijah realizes it's his time to go. And he had a sense the Lord was coming for him. And in point of fact, Elijah was one of three men, like Enoch and, uh, oh my gosh, one other person, uh, never died a physical death, Uh, Melchizedek. Thank you. Your help was appreciated. But uh, Melchizedek, Enoch, and Elijah were just taken up, never died a physical death. But, you know, he, he's not quite sure how this is going to come across, you know. It's kind of like we all want to go to heaven, but that precise moment, you know. Ugh, you know? So he's walking and talking with Elisha in the far side of the Jordan. He's trying to kind of get rid of him, you know. He wants to be alone with this thing whenever it happens. And he turns to Elisha and says, What is it you want from me? And Elisha said, and this is one of the most misunderstood passages of all the bible elisha said i want a double portion and many people think he was saying i want exact what you want or i want twice what you have or i want twice as much anointing but you see in the hebrew culture the eldest son always got a double portion of inheritance. If there were four children in family, the father would divide the inheritance into five portions. The eldest son always got a double. What he was saying is, I'm your spiritual son. Let me have the eldest sons. This is why it's so silly when you hear people saying, oh, I've got his mantle or I've got his anointing. Well, what about the anointing God created you to walk in? Why not go after the double portion of the elder brother, Jesus? Hello. 12 of you are excited. Good. So he's trying to get rid of Elijah. You know, if we had a week of a message here, we'd probably get all of you at one point saying amen, you know, especially when the message was over. But so finally he says, what do you want? He says, I want the anointing you've walked in. That's how I want to serve God. And it's interesting what Elijah said to me. He said, I can't He said, it's very difficult what you ask, meaning I can't just lay hands on you. And prophetically, we can lay hands on one another. We can impart blessings. We can release gifts. But you cannot release someone into a destiny God did not create them to walk in. What we can do is recognize and bless one another's destiny. And that's one of the purposes of church eldership, that we see this in you and we recognize now is the time. So Elisha said, it's difficult what you ask. But he said, if you see it, if the eyes of your heart are opened up and you see it, if you've got that relationship of intimacy with God, you'll have your request. And as they were continuing to walk along, all of a sudden Elisha looked up and he saw it. He saw a chariot of fire and angels came down and he saw the whirlwinds of God. Isn't it interesting? Whirlwinds can mean a thing of destruction, but when God releases whirlwinds, it's a whirlwind of breakthrough and a whirlwind of promotion. Elijah got promoted to heaven, the greatest promotion of all, but Elisha, the servant, was promoted into being the prophet of Israel for the rest of his life. And I want to say to you, that the flip side of all the chaos, all the confusion, all the challenges, health-wise, economically, everything we've gone through the last two years, God is weaving that into a wonderful mosaic to raise up, to present a new picture to the world from the body of Christ. And we and you are at a time of breakthrough. You're in a time of promotion. I'm not minimizing, um, trying to minimize the, the, you know, the very real pain some of us have gone through, the loss of loved ones. One of my closest friends just uh, died in a COVID-related illness just a few months ago. Very it's, uh, but, but we need to understand that sometimes with like Elijah being taken, or as it says about Isaiah, in the year of King Uzziah's death, new things come forth. And again, I'm not minimalizing any of the loss. Anybody here may have suffered of a friend or loved one. It's real. But unfortunately, it's the natural pattern of things that a winter always has to precede a time of spring. And so with everything within me, I want to encourage you that in the whirlwinds we've been going through, as we respond to God, we're going to find the whirlwinds of breakthrough and whirlwinds of promotion And hang on to these things, these four things about having a fresh hunger to seek God, leaning not to understanding, realizing he's the great I am, and allowing him to deal with the eyes of our heart. But there is one last thing, and this is critical I want to throw at you. It says in Job 42, verse 10, Then the Lord restored the fortunes of Job... And if you know the last, how the story ends, it ends better than it started with a whole other family. He ended up even wealthier. He was completely healed, and his life is incredibly blessed. But it says, the Lord restored the fortunes of Job when he had prayed for his friends. Let's bring this back into perspective. For 37 chapters, his friends that he wanted to lean upon. They condemned him. They rebuked him. They were, the, they were just insult to injury. In two of the Gospels, Gospel books, Jesus said, If you don't forgive those who have sinned against you, neither will your Heavenly Father forgive you of your sins. There are many, many sins we can commit. I know that nobody here ever does that. It's for the church down the road. But of all the sins a Christian can commit, one of the worst is hanging on to an offense, bitterness, anger. What it says in Hebrews, the bitter root of judgment by which many many are defiled, I should say. And I would like to say to you that the breakthrough is one of the key, most important parts of you and I coming in in our churches, in our ministries, our lives, our families, our careers, all the things God calls us to, is contingent upon having a pure heart before God. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And if we really want the eyes of our heart to be enlightened, if we really want to really gaze on a whole new level upon his beauty, if we want to discern his voice, For direction and clarity to come out of the whirlwinds of confusion into whirlwinds of breakthrough, let's make our hearts a resting place for Him. Because as we sang, we're making room for You of God. Let's clear out the cobwebs, the issues, all the junk in the cupboards and closets and little rooms of our heart. Let's not give any room for the devil. When Satan was coming, so to speak, for Jesus, he said in John 12, The devil has nothing on me. There were no hooks within Jesus' soul by which he could be manipulated, made fearful, angry, rebellious, anything. And when he hung there on that cross in absolute agony, he looked at humanity and he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And it's in that point where you feel like you're hurting the most that the Spirit of God is prompting you the most to say, bless those who have cursed you. Pray for those who have sinned against you. Pray and bless those who maybe have let you down, who have maybe betrayed a sacred confession or maybe um, someone... As David wrote about Jesus, someone you've shared your bread with, a close friend that's betrayed that friendship. Or maybe you've had a so-called Christian business partner that's ripped you off. Or maybe you went through a, a brutal divorce with a supposedly a Christian who was going to love you and cherish you all their life. Or maybe it was a father or mother that did not nourish you, did not protect you, did not encourage you with the best that they had. Whatever it may be, let's not have any ball and chain attached to us. Let's be free to enter into this year and all that God has for us. Are you alive? Let's uh, let's stand. So if I could have uh, the guitarist or keyboard player or, or harmonica player, ukulele, somebody. <laughs> As they're coming up... Um, I won't take much time I just want we do have a resource table back there I've got a number of books one of the books I've written is very very appropriate for this time frame where it's called breakthrough in times of breakdown another cd set we have is called the power of blessings how we can change things just by speaking God's goodness over people our workplaces our neighborhoods and the favorite book that I've written is called becoming the friend of God that that's A paradigm God wants us to experience—not only knowing Him as Lord and Savior and Father, but knowing Him as your best friend. Uh, You you just exude the friendship of God. This lady walked up to me in the parking lot, and uh, I felt like a thousand people were hugging me. So I want to give this to you. (laughs) Blessings to you. I want to tomorrow night we're going to be doing a lot of ministry and uh, I'm believing that there's going to be a number of healings the Lord is going to do prophetic words and all of that but I I want to in closing this and I'll hand things back over to Mike to whatever direction he wants to take in in a moment but I, I want to address this fifth key I mentioned because I believe this is life and death In John 17, that's really the Lord's Prayer, we prayed to the Father. He said, Father, may they be one as you and I are one. And that oneness, that unity cannot just be measured by warm bodies in the same room together. It's measured by our hearts preferring one another, honoring one another, no room for bitterness and anger. And I realize for some of you this may only be the first or maybe second time you've heard me speak. But I want to speak to you on behalf of God the Father right now, not prophetically or apostolically or as a preacher. But the Father's kind intentions for you are so much greater than you have any idea. He wants to fill you and I, overflowing with his peace, his love, his joy, and that to be our strength in life. And so in love, without any condemnation, because we're all on this journey of sanctification together, there's no one who's righteous except for Jesus. But in this context right now, I want to give a simple invitation, and I want to encourage you to set aside what other people may think about you. To be honest with you, they're probably not thinking about you anyway. (laughs) <laughs> I know we're all legends in our own minds, but there you go. But if you know in your heart of heart, maybe with a mother, or father, maybe a former husband or wife, maybe a friend who's betrayed you, maybe it was a pastor in another church that used you or abused you, um, maybe it was a sibling, maybe you went through emotional or sexual abuse as a child or whatever it is, If you know there's a stronghold of unforgiveness, bitterness, anger, a bitter root of judgment, I I believe God wants to give us a grace to deal with that today. And so without any embarrassment, any condemnation, if that's you, I'd like to invite you to come to the front right now. I'm just going to pray briefly for you. If that's you, would you just begin to make your way forward? Again, don't be concerned about what anybody else thinks. They already know you have problems anyways. So. Just come all the way forward if you would. Let's make room for one another. I'm just going to hold on just in a few seconds. Is there anybody else? Are we okay, Mike? Is this I'd like to ask everybody, whether you came forward or not, would you pray out loud after me right now? Father God, just as David sang, search my heart O God and see if there be any hurtful way within me. And Father, I choose to repent for any anger, bitterness, judgments i've made towards others and i release them now right where they're at would you bless them would you draw them close to you would you bless their health and their finances as Job blessed his friends i bless them now in the name of jesus And I thank you for them. And thank you for the calling and destiny you have for their lives. And I choose to walk out of here this morning. By your grace. Free. To experience your whirlwinds of breakthrough. Now just stay where you're at. And I just want to pray. Paul's apostolic prayer over you as a church. This is not for the Holy Spirit, but it's an edge in the Holy Spirit. Father, I bless this church in the name of Jesus that you would give them an increase of that spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of you, the God of our Lord Jesus, the Father of all glory. And I ask that even right now, Would you cause the eyes of their hearts to be enlightened so that we could say like Job, we've heard of you by our ears, but now we see you. We know what it's like to gaze upon your wonder and beauty, Lord God. And Father, I ask like never before in the history of this church, would you bring them as individuals, families, home groups, as a congregation, in their ministries, in their lives, their careers, their artistic endeavors, whatever they do, and especially their outreaches, <clears throat> would you bring them into the hope of their calling? Would you cause them to know their inheritance of riches in Christ Jesus? And would you cause this church to like never be no for know the surpassing greatness of your Holy Spirit's dunamis power, not only to us, but through us. And I thank you for this church, and I thank you for the destiny, the calling, and that the best is yet to come. In Jesus' name, amen.